This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's quote. Quote, Don't say things. What you are stands over you the while, and thunders so that I cannot hear what you say to the contrary. End quote. You may have heard a variation on this quote said in other forms, and I won't repeat them here because I don't want to perpetuate an incorrect quote, but this is from the poet and writer Ralph Waldo Emerson. And I could have sworn that I had done an episode about Emerson as the subject, but was as surprised as you may be to find out that it's taken me 120-some-odd episodes to finally get to one. But here we are, and man, what a good one this one is, for as short as it is. Ralph Waldo Emerson was born May 25th, 1803 in Boston, Massachusetts, and died April 27th, 1882 in Concord, Massachusetts at the age of 78. And Emerson was a lecturer, philosopher, and essayist, and he published a significant number of writings which are, for the time period in which they were written, actually very digestible. And if you know anything about that time period, you know that some of the prose and some of the ways that folks wrote during that time were a little bit dated, as I'm sure our writings will be dated for those that follow along 130-ish years hence for us as well, but they can be a little bit difficult to, to digest at times. But Emerson was not that way. Emerson's writings are actually very easily understood and, and, and palatable. And I just recently finished a book about the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago, and the author notes multiple times in the book how verbose and frequent writings were in that era. And I dare say it was not better just a few decades before that fair when Emerson was writing his essays. So for him to publish digestible and reasonably concise writings was a feat ahead of its time. Emerson was one of eight children and one of five to survive into adulthood. In addition to three sibling deaths, Emerson actually lost his father to stomach cancer just before he turned eight years old. Emerson's mother and aunt raised him for the remainder of his childhood, and certainly had an impact on him as he went forward. After graduating college at Harvard, Emerson lived for two more years in a cabin, simply writing and enjoying nature. And man, wouldn't that be nice. It probably harkens to Walden Pond and some of the writings that you recall from your your high school days. Those weren't Emerson, but they are of that same era of time, and clearly there was something about being in the outdoors that led some of the most famous writers that we still remember to today to go there in search of solitude and quiet and inspiration. He later moved south to Florida where he met lifelong friend Prince Akil Murat. Prince Murat was the nephew of Napoleon Bonaparte, and he had a significant impact on Emerson's life and writing. Prince Murat, that is not Napoleon. And Emerson was actually ordained in 1829 and practiced writing and speaking as part of his junior pastoral role in Boston at what was then called Second Church, further honing his craft. Emerson continued to write and lecture even after leaving the church in 1832, eventually cataloging more than 1,500 lectures, which, if you're doing the math at home, is a rate of about 30 per year for the remainder of his life. And that's significant. I mean, think about what that implies. Can't say that every single one of those 1,500 was unique. He probably repeated himself or at least portions of what he had written or spoken before in some of those lectures. But still, that's a lecture every two weeks for 50 years. I mean, that's not an insignificant amount of work 
regardless of whether you're regurgitating what you've said before or not. And I suspect that even if all 1,500 were not individually unique, it was not 1,500 variations of the exact same lecture either. So quite an accomplishment. And Emerson was a transcendentalist and an abolitionist. The former being the American philosophical belief centered around the tenets of self-reliance and superiority of insight over logic and an inherent knowledge of what is, quote, right. While the latter is, anti, is an anti-slavery and anti-human trafficking stance. Transcend refers to the intrinsic, universally experienced knowledge of the world that transcends the standard five senses. So a transcendentalist believes in a root understanding of the world around them that goes beyond what they can see, touch, taste, hear, and smell. And I think we all kind of have that to a degree. If you just have an inkling, if you have ever referred to something as a spidey sense or just a feeling about something, those aren't your normal senses. That's a transcendentalist idea. We won't, won't go into transcendentalism here. It's a very deep topic. It, it covers a lot of ground. And it's not what this podcast specializes in. But as a high-level understanding of the term, assume it to mean any feeling or understanding of the world that transcends your five senses. And Emerson was certainly a fascinating person. He was a very capable writer and also a very deep thinker, which was very common at the time, and I would argue is very common today. If you're writing well, you're thinking deeply. And as we discussed with Carl Rogers and his humanistic approach to psychology a few episodes ago, Emerson was a cornerstone of an entirely new way of approaching philosophy. And if you remember, when I talked about Rogers a few episodes back, we talked about his approach to psychology and how it was a completely new and novel concept. And how admirable that is because not only do you practice your craft and are you good at your craft and what exists within that craft as it stands today, you're so well practiced and so deep thinking on the topic that you're able to go above and beyond what exists now and build something completely new. So just as Rogers did that with psychology, Emerson did that with philosophy. And anyone who creates an entirely new and enduring model of thinking or approach to life is to me impressive. Rogers and Emerson both belong in this class. Now that we know a little bit more about Emerson, I'm going to read the quote again, and then we'll look at it and its contents. Here it is. Quote, Don't say things. What you are stands over you the while, and thunders so that I cannot hear what you say to the contrary. End quote. And as I mentioned at the start, there are variations of this that float around, and as with most popular quotes, often they are wrongly attributed or completely incorrectly quoted. I had to dig to the original source document to find this, and I'll talk about that in just a second, but it took a while. This is not a readily apparent provenance that I was able to easily glean from just a couple of quick Google searches. The most common variation is, quote, what you do speak so loudly that I cannot hear what you are saying, or something to that effect. Further reduced, I suppose it can be expressed in a clunky way as actions speak louder than words, or talk is cheap. Both of those quotes are a little pithy and a little bit overplayed and overused, so I don't like them, and I think they don't do justice to Emerson's writings and the tone he was trying to take, and more importantly, the context in which this quote was spoken originally. Pithy, short, and easier to recall and inject into conversation, maybe, but I still think that it does a disservice to the fantastic quote that this is. And Emerson, of course, lived in a time of eloquent writers and speakers. Think folks like Edgar Allan Poe and Walt Whitman, Mark Twain, Henry David Thoreau, Frederick Douglass, and Herman Melville, right? All superstars, all people who you would recognize from any high school reading curriculum across the country and even across the globe. 
In fact, I've had someone on here before who specialized in Herman Melville because he was such an interesting writer. So that's the company that Emerson is keeping at this time in his life. And they have no radio, they have no television, no internet. So the primary means of communication during this period of time is pen and paper, which is why, as I referenced earlier, in that book about the 1893 Chicago World's Fair, there was so much said about how long and lengthy some of the writings were at the time, which made them oftentimes difficult to digest. Now, if you were a reader at the time, you also didn't have radio, TV, or internet. So you enjoyed these longer writings because they gave you more to sink your teeth into, more to think about, more to circle back to and rehash and go over again and again and again, because you didn't have 17 other forms of stimuli to keep you entertained. So it was okay back then. Now it reads a little bit more difficult. Emerson's message was published as a part of his 1875 collection of essays called Letters and Social Aims. Many of the essays contained therein were speeches, or refined versions of essays that he had published previously. The entirety of Letters and Social Aims, by the way, is available online for free. It's well worth the read, very easy to approach, not terribly long. You could probably get through it in an afternoon if you sat down with it. And today's quote comes from a section where Emerson has just concluded with sage advice about how to disagree and with whom. And he cautions us not to just be set on, quote, conquering our companion, end quote. That is in debate, of course. But to find a companion who knows what we do and do not know and to engage and lose and learn in a professional way, in a congenial and cordial kind of way. He then follows with today's quote and leads up to this quote with, quote, Let us not look east and west for materials of conversation, but rest in presence and unity. End quote. And the idea here, I think, is that being frivolous in conversation or prattling for the sake of filling time is a waste and values us and the person with whom we're conversing next to nothing. And it lends itself to the old adage, do not speak unless you can improve the silence. Which you've probably heard before. Maybe you've even had it directed at you when you're prattling on about something yourself. And he's calling out a natural human condition. Right? The desire and social obligation to engage in conversation. To fill every empty moment near another person with sound. And this is in fact one of the reasons we have filler words such as um and like and so and things like that. Trust me, as a podcast host, I regularly hear my own filler words. And when I first started recording, it was the word so. And I ended up cutting out a lot of those things, and you can still hear them in some of the episodes. But if you go back and listen to some of the early episodes, you'll hear me talk about things, and as a filler word, I will say the word so. And these are words that contribute absolutely nothing to the conversation, but they hold our place as the speaker while we prepare our next lines so as to be not interrupted by the person who is listening to us. And... I guess put another way, filler words for podcast hosts recording in their home closet completely alone are even more worthless. There's no one here that I'm talking to except for the microphone and the computer. There's nobody to interrupt me. I can take as long as I want. I can pause and then trim out the silence later. But I still use those filler words because they're so ingrained in how we speak. And what Emerson is saying in this quote is, chatting for the sake of just making noise moving your mouth so as to make sounds to avoid silence, is silly. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of your time and energy, and it's a waste of the listener's 
time and energy to absorb what you're saying and try to parse out what you're actually getting at while you're just rambling. And Emerson says this, I'll, I'll give you the, the more complete context leading up to the quote. Just before the quote, he says, let us not look east and west for materials of conversation, but rest in presence and unity. A just feeling will fast supply fuel for discourse, if speaking be more grateful than silence. When people come to see us, we foolishly prattle, lest we be inhospitable. But things said for conversation are chalk eggs. And then he goes into today's quote. And I love the term chalk eggs that he uses here. The origins of that term are not entirely clear to me, but if we apply it to today, imagine that the literal interpretation of that. Certainly unpalatable if you had eggs made of chalk, they'd taste terrible. And I think that's what he's getting at here, is that prattling on, making conversation just to talk, fill time and silence and space with words, is chalk eggs. Nobody likes it. You don't like doing it. The person who's listening doesn't like hearing it. Let's not do that, right? And Emerson is implying that chatter for chatter's sake is equally unpalatable to chalk eggs. And next, Emerson drops the line that most of us will remember, that who we are thunders so loudly that nothing we say can overcome it. Beautiful, eloquent, and challenging. And that's why I love this quote. It's short, it's sweet, and it's to the point. Don't say things, because what you are stands over you the while, and thunders so that I cannot hear what you say to the contrary. Meaning you can talk all you want, and no matter how loud you are, no matter how much you speak, no matter how much, you simply will not stop talking. I can see who you are. I can observe who you are without the words. And nothing that you say is going to overcome what I see that you are, what I can see with my eyes, what I hear with my ears, is not going to be sufficient to overcome what I see with my eyes. And as I was preparing for this episode and reading and rereading the quote, as I tend to do, I was reminded of a story that I had heard somewhere not too long ago about a stone. And it's not last week's poem about troubles being a stone and dropping them into the ocean. It's a different quote. And it's called, appropriately, The Wise Woman's Stone. And it goes like this. A wise woman, who was traveling in the mountains, found a precious stone in a stream. The next day, she met another traveler who was hungry. And the wise woman opened her bag to share her food. The hungry traveler saw the precious stone and asked the woman to give it to him. She did so without hesitation. The traveler left, rejoicing in his good fortune. He knew the stone was worth enough to give him security for a lifetime. But a few days later, he came back to return the stone to the wise woman. I've been thinking, he said. I know how valuable this stone is, but I give it back in the hope that you can give me something even more precious. Give me what you have within you that enabled you to give me this stone. And the last line calls to me, right? It should call to all of us, really. But the actions, not the words of the woman, were compelling. She didn't say, get to work, hustle, make money, you lazy sloth, or anything of the sort. No. She demonstrated kindness. And I'm going to say that again. She demonstrated kindness. And in that, she conveyed a lesson and inspired a change in ways that she never could have with words alone. It's a slight spin, maybe a little twist, on what Emerson is saying here, that our actions speak so loudly that our words cannot drown them out. But in this case, the action spoke so loudly that even the precious stone, nothing that the woman could have said would have meant as much. The physical stone itself didn't mean as much as the actual act of unquestionably giving him the stone. It says, quote, she did so without hesitation. 
And that was enough to take somebody who had in their hand, let's assume it was a precious gem. Maybe it was an emerald or a ruby or a diamond or whatever you want to imagine. And this woman, without hesitation, she had opened her bag to share some food with this hungry person on the side of the road who had seen the stone, recognized its value, and asked for the stone. And rather than say, no, no, I'm here to give you lunch. I'm not here to give you this precious stone. I'm here to take this with me to where I'm going. I'm trying to be a kind person here and, and share my food with you. Is that not enough? She didn't say any of that. She didn't say, well, you could go find your own stone. This is my stone. I found this stone. I worked for this stone. You should go and work for your own stone so that you can be secure. You're lucky that I'm sharing my lunch with you at all. You should be grateful for that. And that wouldn't have had a fraction of the impact on this hungry traveler as the act of giving up the stone. And I'm sure that the woman in this story didn't give up this stone with the expectation that it would be returned to her and a lesson learned for life. That's, that's a, a risky gamble to take, giving up something so valuable. But clearly what it's meant to show us is that there are things more valuable than just physical assets. And that words couldn't have made the change in the person that her actions did. So today, as we close, let's, let's internalize Emerson's words and the, woman's, the wise woman's actions as we go forward and recognize that who we are speaks far more than anything that we can say. And that who we are is even more valuable than the most precious stone on the earth. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at quotationspod or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you. Welcome your feedback. And thanks as always for listening.